If you're like me, it's probably hard to believe that six weeks have already flown by, and we are wrapping up this week with our focus on the gospel and the church. I hope this has been a valuable six weeks of learning and growing and understanding even better what being a reproducing follower of Jesus is all about, especially as it relates to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. The church is the body of Christ. You and I are part of that church, along with every other believer around the world. And this week, Dave and Pam Parsons have done a tremendous job in helping us to understand what that looks like, a church that is really rooted in the gospel. This week, we're gonna be focusing on issues having to deal with the fact that a gospel church is Christ-centered, that we are rooted in the scriptures, that we're a church that actually lives love out to a lost and hurting world, that we are filled and empowered with the Holy Spirit of God, and that we recognize that we have been given a great commission by God to take this good news to the nations of the world. I wanna thank you, all of you who participated over these six weeks. Many of you will be continuing on in your small groups. Others will be starting new groups or joining groups other than what you're in. But I want you to know the things that we've learned over these weeks are things that we hope will stay with us for a lifetime and even grow more and more as God continues to use us to spread the good news of his gospel, living out the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles today, I'd like you to turn to me, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. We're going to be finishing up our series in the gospel, living the good news of Jesus Christ. Finishing is really a misnomer because now once you learn these things, it's a matter of living it out, knowing Jesus even better. And the more you know him, the more he shines his life through yours. I was uh, reading this week, by the way, we don't, because of the technical, technological stuff, uh, wow, man, I'm running short of time already. I'm going to be looking at my watch a lot, so I hope that won't be too distracting. Not that it makes any difference. I just keep talking anyway. But <laughs> I was reading about these guys who were at a very expensive, exclusive country club, and they had just been playing together, and they obviously had a lot of money, and they are in the locker room getting changed. And the cell phone rang. was sitting on a table next to him, so the guy reached down, picks up the cell phone, and he says, Hello? Honey, it's me. Sugar, hey, I'm at the mall two blocks from the club. I saw a beautiful mink coat. It's absolutely gorgeous. Can I buy it? It's only 1500 bucks. Well, okay, if you like it that much, thanks. Oh, and I also stopped by the Mercedes dealership and saw the new models. I saw one I really liked. I spoke with the salesman. He gave me a great price. How much? Only 60000 Okay, but for that price, I want it with all the options, all right? Okay, great. Hey, before we hang up, there's something else. It might seem like a lot, but, well, I stopped by to see the real estate agent this morning, and I saw the house we had looked at last year. It's on sale, remember? The beachfront property with the pool and the English garden? How much are they asking? Only 450000 a magnificent price. And we have that much in the bank to cover it. All right, go ahead and buy it, but put in a bid for four twenty, no more, okay? Okay, sweetie, thanks. I'll see you. I love you. I love you too. The man hangs up, he looks down, and he looks at the phone, and he says to his playing buddies, does anybody know whose cell phone this is? <laughs> Whoa! 
you, you really got to know who you're talking to, I'll tell you that. Well, we know who we're talking to, and that's Jesus. The Apostle Paul lived the gospel, even when it cost him. He preached the good news all over Asia. He preached the good news through the Middle East. He preached the good news in Europe. He preached it all the way to Rome. He preached it in Greece, in Ephesus, in the urban centers of his day. In Acts chapter 20, he's on his way back to Jerusalem for the last time. And he's stopping along the route to meet with all the churches he's helped to found. And he's instilling in them the importance of living out the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Because, Paul said, the Holy Spirit is telling him all along the way that when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to be arrested. He's going to face hardship. He's going to face imprisonment. And he's going to die. He's eventually going to die in the cause of the gospel. So he's stopping along the way, investing in the churches, reminding them of how he lived and the importance of them living out the gospel. That's the role of the church. When we pick up the story in Acts 20, he's coming past Ephesus, stopping south of the city on the beach at Miletus, and he invites the elders of the church at Ephesus to come. He's in a hurry to get to Jerusalem by Pentecost, and he doesn't want to go to Ephesus again because the last time he was there, there was a riot in the stadium when he preached the gospel. So he calls the elders, and this is what he tells them in Acts 20, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Let's pray for a moment. Father, these words seem so radical at times, but they're not. This is how Paul lived. This is how he taught the church to live. And Father, the truth is, we are your church. We are your presence in the world. And I'm praying today, God, you will help us to see even more how we too, like Paul, may be faithful to live out the good news of Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you for all you'll show us in Jesus' name. Amen. The words you've probably heard before are chiseled in stone over the New York City Post Office on 8th Avenue. Since the day they were inscribed there, they have served as an unofficial model for all postal carriers. Neither snow nor rain nor heat of gloom of night stays these couriers from the swift completion of their appointed rounds. Those words chosen by post office architect William Mitchell Kendall in 1914 were taken from Book 8, Paragraph 98 of the work by Herodotus called The Persian Wars. And in that book, 
He was describing the 50 years of the Greek-Persian Wars in the 6th century B.C., and what's significant about it is in the book, he described how the Persians, during that war, developed a postal system of carriers who would carry vital messages faithfully to every part of the empire, and they were so faithful at their work that they became a model for American postal system. And so he took that phrase out of that work to make it the motto of our carriers who carry vital messages even today to be faithfully delivered. You know, when I was reading that, I thought that motto could become the standard for you and me, the standard of the church. We have been entrusted with a message from God. In fact, it's the most important message ever given to humanity. It is the gospel. It is the good news of the death, burial, resurrection, and appearing of Jesus, and the salvation and eternal life it brings to all who believe and receive it. It's been entrusted to me and to you if you're a Christian. And God intends that message to be understood and faithfully delivered. We're in our sixth and final week of our discipling campaign that we have every year. This year is the gospel, living the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's important that we remember that this, this message is not just something we share in words. It's something that we live out for people to see. We become Christ's ambassadors, citizens of heaven, living in a foreign land called earth. And we're here to be his representative and to share faithfully the message he's entrusted to us. In fact, God does it in us and through us. That body of believers that we are now is called the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones is what it means, called out of the world to be gods for God's purpose. The church is not a building. It's not an institution. It's not a place. The church is people, God's people. The church is you and the church is me. That's why wherever you are in the world, wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you shop, wherever you go to school, wherever you are, Jesus is. He is in heaven, exalted to the right hand of God, but in his spirit, his fullness lives in us. We are his body now in the world, his hands, his feet, his eyes, his mouth. He's living through us, which is why the Apostle Paul told the Ephesians in Chapter 1, verse 22, and God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, the Apostle Paul understood what it meant to be a part of that church. The universal church made up of all believers past, present, and future who will ever come to Christ manifested in a point in time in local churches like this one where the body comes together to worship, grow, and serve, and to share the gospel. Paul knew he had been entrusted with the gospel, and a part of, as part of Christ's body, he was called to proclaim that gospel and to live it in a way that people could see. That's why he told them in verse 18, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. He lived it out, and they knew it. And so there on a beach at Miletus, south of Ephesus, he shares with these elders again, I'm headed off to Jerusalem for the last time. And I know I'll never see your face again. So I want you to take this message back to the church at Ephesus, the same message we're sharing with every church. 
live out the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the duty and the privilege of the church is to live out the gospel as the body of Christ. How are we to live this out? With the same Christ-centered gospel focus that Paul lived out, faithful to the message and faithful to the mission. We live out the good news of Jesus Christ when we live faithful to the message. Paul said in verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility, with tears, and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to you, both Jews and Greeks, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. President Roosevelt was right when he called it a day that would live in infamy. It was December 7, 1941, the unprovoked Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. 2,000 Americans died, 1,000 were wounded, 20 battleships were lost, 300 planes were destroyed. And it would usher America into what would become the Second World War. Part of the reason for such devastating damage was the message about the arrival of the Japanese planes was not faithfully committed or relayed. In an article I was reading, it said, as the first wave approached Oahu was detected by the U.S. Army radar at Opana Point near the island's northern tip. This post had been in training mode for months but was not yet fully operational. The operators, Privates George Elliott Jr. and Joseph Lockhart, reported a target but Lieutenant Kermit A. Tyler, a newly assigned officer at the thinly manned intercept center, presumed it was the scheduled arrival of six B-17 bombers from California. They were approaching, the Japanese planes were approaching on a direction very similar to the scheduled flight of those bombers. And while the operators had never seen a formation as large as this on radar, they neglected to tell their commanding officer of its unusual size. As the first wave planes approached Oahu, they encountered and shot down several U.S. aircraft. At least one of these radioed a somewhat incoherent warning. Other warnings from ships off the harbor entrance were still being processed or awaiting confirmation when the attacking planes began bombing and strafing. It's not my point today to cast dispersion on any service member I wasn't there, and none of us can know what they have to deal with unless you've been in their shoes. But all I'm saying is we now know there was a message that did not get faithfully understood or communicated, and the result was devastating. We have no idea how things might have been different had they known even moments sooner. But the fact is there are some messages so important they have to get out. And that's especially true when the message affects people's eternity. That message is the life-saving good news of the gospel, and it's been entrusted to us, his church, to be faithfully understood and delivered. The Apostle Paul lived it out. 
He stayed faithful to the message of the gospel. Paul said in verse 18, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears and in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I've not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. Paul said, you know how I've lived, even in the face of severe opposition. I didn't hesitate to preach the good news. I didn't dumb down the message. I didn't try to make it culturally softer so people would like it. I preached it in public places, in stadiums, and synagogues. I preached the same message faithfully in your homes from house to house. I've shared this message faithfully with Jews, and I've shared it with the Gentile nations. That's why I told you that the gospel I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. I passed this on. Jesus died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried. He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. And he appeared. Don't dumb down the message. You elders go back and tell them at Ephesus, this is what I lived out. This is the message we must be faithful to. You see, Paul believed the message of the gospel that it was the power of God for salvation to all who believed it. And one of the things that's coming out of this gospel study for me, working through the workbook, is this. God asking me, Larry, do you believe it? Do you believe that the gospel is the power of God to save people who hear it? Do you, people, do you believe that people are lost and going to hell without this gospel? If you believe that, it will change the way you live just the way it changed Paul. Paul knew he couldn't save anybody, and God hadn't asked him to. But he knew God saves people, and he saves, it. He saves them when they hear the good news. Pastor Dave and Pam Parsons this week have done an excellent job not only summarizing the whole campaign, but also helping us to see the role that you and I have as the church, his body, and living this out. Dave and Pam wrote this week on day two, it saddens me to see the vast number of churches that are abandoning God's word for clever messages that fit the times. They don't realize it, but they're forfeiting the power of God for salvation. Do you have any idea how many people may be in a church and wind up in hell because they never hear the gospel in that church. Paul said in Romans 1, verse 14, I'm obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. He said, I'm eager to preach to the wise and the foolish. That's why I want to come to Rome. He never tells them, are you the wise or the foolish? He just says, I want to come. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile, to the nations. But as Paul would later tell the Romans who had believed the gospel, now it was their turn to share it and live it out. Otherwise, how could people be saved if they never hear? Romans 10, verse 11, as Scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. 
For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in one of whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful indeed. People, the, those beautiful feet belong to you and me. To every Christian. You know, this week, I was thinking about some of the people whose beautiful feet faithfully brought the good, good news of the gospel to me. As I look back, people sharing Christ with me through the years that I, at the time, I didn't even notice what they were talking about, but now I remember. And they were planting seeds, and other people were watering those, and when it came time, God sent someone with beautiful feet to help harvest what he had sown. And I think, where would I be today if those people had not shared the gospel with me? I remember praying for 20 years for my mom. And um, every time I went back to Maine, I would, if I was there on a Sunday, I'd always take her to church. She was always very willing to go. I remember one day, I would try to find a good Bible teaching church, and I found one. So I said, Mom, let's go here. Never forget, I walked in the front door, and we just come into the lobby, and this lady goes, Rita! And I'm thinking, my mom's never been here. Who is this lady? So they're over there talking like a couple of old chums. And I hear her saying things like, oh, you go here? I didn't know you went to church here, blah, 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 blah. And afterwards, when she left, I said to my mom, Mom, who was that lady? That's my next-door neighbor. And I'm thinking, I've been praying for 20 years for my mom to come to know Christ, and there's a lady next door who's a Christian who goes to a Bible-teaching church, and my mom doesn't even know she attends, and they're good friends. I said, God, how can this be? How can this be? And immediately God said, Larry, you got any neighbors you haven't told? Because there may be somebody in Maine praying for their brother or sister next door to you, and I want to know, have you built a relationship? Have you told them about me? Because without the gospel, they can't be saved. You know, it's been said if Jesus was in the world today, he would be living and declaring the same message he always preached. Well, you know what? Jesus is living in the world today. He's living in me, and he's living in you. We're his body. We are the church. We can't save anybody, but God can. And he's entrusted us with a message that we need to be faithful to. We can't water this down.
The gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And not only faithfulness to the message, but we live out the good news of Jesus Christ when we stay faithful to the mission. Paul said in verse 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. People, we don't give up because something's hard or the journey is long or it ends up being costly or it doesn't look like we're winning. We don't give up. The gospel doesn't go forth when we give up and teams don't win championships when they give up. You remember when the San Francisco Giants won the World Series in 2010? 52 years they worked towards that goal. 52 years. And when the owner received the championship trophy from the commissioner, the first man he handed the trophy to was the man who had been there for the whole 52-year journey. His name is Mike Murphy. In an article that was in the New York Times, he said, in the realm of sports superstars, Mike Murphy plays a small but essential role for the pro baseball team, the San Francisco Giants. 2010, he helped the Giants win their first World Series in 52 years, and Mike was on the job for the entire 52-year journey. But you won't find his name on the scoreboard. You won't see him endorsing new products for millions of dollars, and you'll never, he'll never make it to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Murph as they call him, has been on the team since 1958. He started as the team's bat boy, moved up to his role as the clubhouse attendant and finally equipment manager. And throughout the 52 years of faithful service, Murph has seen it all. Multiple owners, multiple managers, hundreds of players. And he's worked faithfully behind the scenes, cleaning shoes, ordering bats, striving for a championship, that he hoped to help achieve by supporting the players who are on the field. According to an article in the New York Times, if anyone embodies the 52-year endurance test of the San Francisco Giants, it's Mike Murphy. That's one reason why the owner of the team handed the World Series trophy to Murph, and he would present it to his ecstatic teammates. And what's interesting, this writer from the New York Times was in the clubhouse during that celebration, he said, I noticed that during the midst of all of the wild post-game celebration, I watched Murph turn to a clubhouse attendant, pointed to some bags. There was equipment to be loaded on the truck. Murphy slipped out of the limelight to get back to work for his team. You don't win championships or achieve anything worthwhile without faithful people. Who are willing to work behind the scenes to accomplish together a greater goal. Most people in the church don't feel they're very important. Every member is vital, and Jesus sees it all. Sometimes it doesn't feel like we're winning, sometimes the journey seems long and hard and costly. That's why Paul said, I stayed faithful to the mission.
And because Paul was faithful to that mission, he passed it on. These elders at Ephesus passed it on. And the other churches Paul helped found and instilled this in, they passed it on. They were faithful to the message and the mission. And so it got passed on through generations, millions of believers, many of whom gave their lives to protect this message and to further this mission. And because of that, I heard the gospel one day, and I believed it, and so did you. You're a Christian today. If you are, it's because people were faithful to the mission before us. And now that baton of the gospel has been handed to you and me. And we are only one generation away from Christianity becoming extinct. Paul said in verse 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul said, the Spirit's compelling me to do this. It's a word that means bound out of necessity. It's the same word Jesus used in John 3, verse 7, when he said, you must be born again. It's the word must you're compelled to do this, Jesus said, because there's no other means of salvation. You have to be saved by me. You have to believe and be born again. Paul said, I am a follower of Jesus. I've been entrusted with the gospel. I have to share this. There is no other option for me. The Spirit is compelling me to do this. And though it means hardship or imprisonment or even death, it doesn't matter. Which is why, after this visit at Miletus, he goes on to Caesarea. He meets some of the disciples there. They know what's waiting for him in Jerusalem. And if you remember in Acts 21, they're begging Paul, don't go. You're going to get arrested. You're going to be imprisoned. You are going to die. Don't go. And Paul's answer in, in Acts 21 is a model for all of us. Acts 21, verse 13, Paul answered, Why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, The Lord's will be done. Do you see the two groups? It's too hard. It's too costly. It's too much. Don't do it. And Paul said, There's no cost in this. All they can take is my life. Paul understood if there isn't anything worth dying for, there isn't anything worth living for. And finally, he found the one who was worth giving his life and a message and a message, a mission worth dying for. You know, when I read this stuff, I think, wow, God, what a contrast. Survey after survey of Christians each year reveals that somewhere between 90 and 95% of professing believers have not meaningfully shared Christ with anybody in the prior year. What reasons do we give? Well, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want people to think I'm weird. I don't want to make them uncomfortable. Nobody really likes to talk about religion, and on and on it goes. Paul said, you know what? I'm on a mission. I've got a task to complete. Jesus gave it to me. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be in prison. I'm going to die, and it doesn't 
matter. It doesn't matter. I consider my life worth nothing to me. That phrase, I consider, means it doesn't move me. I'm not moved by threats of hardship or imprisonment anymore. They don't affect me. They don't move me to alter my course. I stay on task. That word task is the word for mission. My life's worth nothing to me. Literally, it's not dear to me. And people, this is the one that blew me away. The phrase literally means the task of testifying to the gospel means more to me in finishing that than my life means to me. That's what he's saying. Paul told the Corinthian church, you know what? People are going to think you're crazy when you live like this, but it doesn't matter. It's what Jesus thinks that matters, and that's what compels me. Folks, does this kind of life sound a little radical to you? Because it does to me. And here's what God's been teaching me through this series in the gospel. If this kind of commitment sounds radical, it shows just how far in my understanding of the Christian life I have deserted from the original. Because people, this is not radical. This was the norm for a disciple. Dave and Pam asked this week in the workbook, quoting from Melvin Blackaby's book, is the Holy Spirit moving you out of your comfort zone and into the Father's will? Are you living in the power of the Holy Spirit, a power that's beyond your natural ability? Jesus taught many great truths during his brief time on earth. He didn't mince his words. So we know that his final words on earth have cement, immense significance. It's like he saved the most important thing for last. You remember Matthew 28, verse 18? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Dave and Pam went on to say it was imperative for the disciples to realize the magnitude of this statement from Jesus. It was their final order from the commander to get out there and share the good news with the world. To do so effectively, they had to demonstrate their belief in it by the way they lived. People, this is why the purpose statement for our church is taken right out of Paul's mission. To glorify God by making disciples who will impact every area of the world for Christ. That's why we exist. We love people here. We love lost people. We try to help. We try to come alongside when they're hurting. We, we care about people. But you need to understand, Golden Hills is not a cruise ship. If you're coming in here just to have a good time or to have a smooth ride or not to be asked to do anything or be pampered, you've come to the wrong place. There's tons of cruise ship churches out there. Golden Hills is a rescue vessel. Our job is to find the people drowning and get them into the ship of Jesus Christ by declaring the gospel. And once they're on board, we're going to care for needs and disciple them and help them however we can. But we must never lose the focus we are not on a cruise ship. We're in a war. And we're on a vessel that's out there to save people who are drowning in their sin. That's why I'm so grateful to be a part of a church like this and to link arms with so many other churches who are doing the same thing around the world, whether here or to the nations. 
God has called us to be faithful to the mission and declaring the good news. You know, I was reading a piece from Erwin Lutzer's book, When a Nation Forgets God. He was telling about an interview he did with a German man who was a Christian during the time of the rise of Hitler. Very interesting interview. He was telling about how their church was near the train tracks where the trains went by carrying loads of Jewish people on their way to the concentration camps. They said every Sunday when the trains went by, we could hear the Jews on these trains screaming for help. And you know what we did? We sang our hymns louder to drown out the screams. And we did nothing. In fact, the man said, years have passed. No one talks about it anymore. But I still hear that train whistle in my sleep. God, forgive me. Forgive all of us who called ourselves Christians, yet did nothing. We may not be a church with passing trains full of Jews headed to their deaths in concentration camps, but we are a church surrounded by thousands of people and the nations themselves with millions who are on their way to their deaths because of their sin. And you and I have been entrusted with a message that's not given to anybody else. This is to the church. And God said, if we'll be faithful to the message and faithful to the mission, that God will use us to reach a lost world and people he loves. We'll bring glory to his name, and we will discover together that it was never us anyway. It was God at work in us to will and to act for his good purpose. That's why when Paul wrote his final closing to the church at Rome, he said in Romans 16, verse 25, now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles, all the nations, might come to the obedience that comes from faith to the only wise God, be glory forever. Through Jesus Christ, amen. People, this may be the last week of our study, but it's not the end. This is where it begins. This is where it begins. We'll find out now who has really heard God over these six weeks and is ready to live the good news by the power of God in Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the challenges of all these things. We're not equipped for this, but you are. You can take all of our weakness and make it work. It's all of you and not of us. I want to thank you for so many people in our church, God, that are in constant encouragement to me because they get it, they live it out. They're faithful to the message and the mission. May it continue to grow until this community and the nations of the world have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And we'll thank you, God, for your goodness. In Jesus' name, 
Amen.